Copycat, let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Reverie True Crime. This is part two of the Rebecca Zahal case that I did with Dr. Jules from Riddle Me That podcast. I hope you enjoy, and also, I hope you go check out Riddle Me That True Crime. Riddle Me That is a true crime podcast that deals with adult themes. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Some episodes explore disturbing topics such as murder, abuse, sexual violence, drug abuse, suicide, and self-harm. Please listen at your own risk. Theories discussed in episodes may not be the opinion of the host. Welcome back to part two on the mysterious death of Rebecca Zahau. Let's jump right back in. Adam calls Jonah at the hospital and tells him that Rebecca has killed herself. Dina is present and Jonah informs her of what happened. So Dina, for her part, she seems pretty confused. Why would Rebecca commit suicide? So she asks Jonah why, and he makes a strange pantomime gesture of falling on the sword and reportedly saying Asian honor. I mean, it's just really strange to me that he wouldn't panic or contemplate why she would do this to herself. And he just says it was an Asian honor. And that's as far as he goes with it. He doesn't freak out. It's like he was kind of clued in as to what was going to happen. Yeah. Like, I hate to jump to conclusions there, but it seems strange, right? Like, it seems strange to even do that gesture and to say Asian honor. You'd think that, like, that might be a conclusion that you would eventually come to many days or hours later. Mm, Yeah. Not right off the jump. And to tell somebody else that, it seems kind of rash and just strange. I don't know. Yeah. Definitely. So Adam, due to the fact that he was the one to discover the body of Rebecca and was the only person with Rebecca on the Spreckles property that night, he needs to be questioned, obviously. So he agrees and he cooperates fully with investigators, even consenting to a polygraph. What are your thoughts on polygraphs, Paige? Well, (laughs) they're definitely not, you know, completely reliable. You know, we both know that people have past polygraphs and they were the killer after all. So 
Polygrams usually mean really very little to me. And I take them with a grain of salt because even if someone fails one, I don't completely think they're guilty until there's some concrete evidence there. Um, And that may be a controversial opinion, but I've seen people fail them and, you know, they were actually telling the truth. So, you know, they've time and time again been wrong before. So I don't immediately think the results are 100% correct. You know, I need to know there's more than just a polygraph test to back up results. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, Um, totally. And I think if, you know, Adam, okay, if he's consenting to a polygraph, even if he is guilty, it just makes him look like, oh, I'm innocent and I don't have anything to worry about. So, you know, why not? And, you know, they can manipulate people and say things like that. So they think that they can outsmart and manipulate the test itself because I think their egos are also so big that they think they're just smarter than a machine or other people. So there's a lot of factors to think about when it comes to those tests. What do you think about them? Like, I remember watching the guy that gave the polygraph, or it was one of the investigators, and he was talking to Adam after the test, and he was like, you could have done better, but you could have done worse. So it was sort of like, like, we don't know either way. You didn't pass, but you didn't fail. So this really didn't shine any light on, you know, your involvement or lack thereof. So it's kind of difficult to tell, but I, I agree with you. I think a polygraph should never stand alone. It may be able to point investigators in the right direction, kind of like, sniffer dog evidence, right? Yeah, yeah. So Adam in the interview, which can be viewed in all the documentaries that I've linked in the show notes in varying lengths, it comes across as really strange to me. Perhaps it's just his strange affect. Like Adam's been described as odd and a bit of a loner. He's really animated. He really doesn't seem very concerned for Rebecca. Like I said, his polygraph is inconclusive. Police have nothing concrete to hold him on, so they allow him to leave. But not before Adam shares one more tidbit with investigators. Wait for it. He tells investigators that prior to discovering Rebecca, he was pleasuring himself to pornography. Some sources say Asian bondage porn. Can you believe that? Um, I have my theories on that, but uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Yeah. So one thing I need to emphasize is that investigators never ask Adam if he's pleasuring himself to porn. He volunteered Mm -hmm. this information completely and totally unprompted. Does this explain why he searches for Asian bondage porn on his phone within hours of his brother's girlfriend, Rebecca, who is Asian, Mm -hmm. bound and naked, and then her body is discovered? This seems so sketchy in my opinion. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. And that's that's what I think. I think it's sketchy because, number one, why would you volunteer that when nobody asked you? And, you know, why would you feel you would have to give that information? Do you think it's because somebody's going to find that and question you about it? So you think you just, oh, hey, cop, guess what? Like, well, guess what I was doing before I found her? Like, <laughs> that is yeah. so weird. So So, weird. (laughs) I just believe in my gut that he was watching it for a reason and not just for sexual pleasure, which he may have also done, but that's neither here nor there. But I think he was maybe watching the bondage part of it to see, 
you know, what, how can, you know, I tie her up in which ways? And I just think there was a sinister purpose to him watching it. I think like this is just, of course, speculation, but I think it's possible right. he might have had a fetish for Asian bondage porn. If you're going to specifically look that up, it is very niche and very specific. Uh-huh. And I, so I also think it's possible that he was aware of these different ways to possibly potentially tie somebody up prior to. And given the situation, we know there was no semen found, but it is there is a potential that the knife handle could have been used to sexually assault Rebecca. So mm-hmm. if he's not raping her, then perhaps he needed to have some kind of release. Again, total speculation, mm-hmm. but it would make sense why he's looking at this because it was just hours before the body was found. It wouldn't have been like maybe in the time frame. She was thought to be dead around 3 a.m. This was after 3 a.m. Oh. The Zahao family had been informed of Rebecca's death. They were told that she committed suicide. Right away, this explanation didn't jive. However, one thing that is extremely troubling is the fact that authorities didn't share the strange circumstances in which her body was discovered. The family had to find out from the nightly news. This was very traumatizing for the Zahao family, obviously, and so insensitive on the part of investigators. I believe they could have adequately prepared the family for the media firestorm that was about to befall them. But unfortunately, this didn't happen here. That is just so unprofessional and wrong. One of the most important things, in my opinion, is to make sure the family knows everything before anyone else. Because to not warn them that it would be all over the news is not just an error. I mean, it was just completely wrong not to tell them in the first place. Can you even imagine finding things out on the news about your child at the same time that everyone else is? And plus, it's like, boom, like I had no idea this was happening and now it's in my face and nobody told me. It's just, it's it just was not handled in the correct way at all. And it really makes me angry and it makes me sad. Yeah, my heart goes out to the Zahal family and the San Diego Sheriff's Department could have done a far better job informing the family. It just seems, I don't know what their typical protocols that they've got in place for this type of thing are, but if the media is aware of it, you need to make the family aware of it before the media. Exactly. So this further solidified the fact that this was not a manner that Rebecca would have committed suicide. Her friends and family described Rebecca as modest. Friends who spent time at the gym with Rebecca said she was nervous even changing her clothes in front of other people. It would be a leap to think that in killing herself, she would choose to do so completely nude while menstruating without a tampon in place. Rebecca's sister Mary denies this is possible citing their parents' strong commitment to religion. Mary didn't believe that her sister Rebecca would ever commit suicide, especially not stark naked, in a manner that would be classified as embarrassing to the family. This explanation just wasn't lining up for the Zahal family. Yeah, and I completely see why. And, you know, when people are insecure about their bodies or just don't want others to see them naked, like, there's no way they're going to expose themselves like that. Knowing like there's people that are going to pass by and probably see you like that, um, knowing how close she was to her family and how religious she was. I just don't think there's any way she would do this, not only to herself, but 
do this like to hurt her family or um, do something that she thinks might embarrass them. So I just don't see, I don't see this being something she would do. And she always put others first. And, you know, they, she was very considering of everyone's feelings. So I just don't see any of this being something Rebecca would do, especially thinking she would hurt her family or embarrass them in any way. And when we take into account, like the last actions that we know was Rebecca was on the phone with her sister, Mary, and speaking for around a half hour from like 11 to 1130. And on that phone call, she talks about speaking to her mom at around 6 a.m. So at 1130, she's making plans for the future. We know that from the medical examiner's report, she was probably dead around 3 a.m. So what would have in that time frame, I don't know how quickly psychosis or something like that could, you know, creep in, but it just seems unlikely that in that very short time frame, she goes from making future plans, caring about other people, and then all of a sudden to taking off all her clothes and deciding to commit suicide in such a dramatic and theatrical manner. Like this just does not line up for me. Yeah. On July 16th, 2011, three days after Rebecca's body is found, Max is declared brain dead. Dina and Jonah are beside themselves with grief. Jonah has lost his girlfriend, Rebecca, to either suicide or murder, and now his son, Max, has died. Jonah and Dina do a press conference letting the public know that Max had passed on one day later on the 17th. Yeah, any anytime someone... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One passes away. It's so hard to deal with, but when it's your own child, I just can't imagine the type of pain and sorrow that that is. And Let's just, you know, assume that Jonah may not have known what was going on or what was going to happen to Rebecca. That's a lot to process. And I can't imagine at all what that must be like. Yeah, I can't imagine either. For the parents having to deal with the loss of a child, a six-year-old child, it's just so soul-crushing. And then Jonah has to deal with the loss of his, you know, 32-year-old girlfriend, Rebecca. It's had to have been so difficult for him. I can't even imagine. Right. The public is transfixed by this story at the famous Spreckles Mansion, involving an accident, a suicide, or murder, and the players in the story are the beautiful Rebecca and the wealthy Medisa CEO Jonah, as well as the ex-wife Dina and her twin sister Nina and Jonah's brother Adam. The public wants answers. Was it an accident that killed Max? Or was Rebecca involved and she killed herself out of guilt? Or did someone else hold Rebecca responsible and want to see her pay? There were so many questions. Authorities told the public 
that they would have two parallel investigations into the deaths of both Max and Rebecca. Yeah, there are a lot of unanswered questions in this case, but at the same time, I feel like the majority of us see clear as day what probably happened to her. And I don't comp- like I can't comprehend why anyone would really suspect that this was a suicide. You know, I, I'm open to hearing everybody's theories as to how it adds up to a suicide. You know, I'm always up for listening, you know, to anyone. But we all have our own perspectives and opinions. And mine is that there's no way she did this to herself. You know, I question the 911 audio because I personally thought that I heard a second voice and, you know, I could have heard it wrong, but could that have possibly been Nina or someone else, you know, that had a hand in this? It's just something I think about a lot, as well as the knots were tied in a way that people who are familiar with nautical knots would know how to do and with Adam's line of work this points to something that he he would know how to do with ease and no problem yeah I agree I mean I didn't hear the second voice but it is possible I later on attorney Keith Greer had initially hypothesized that the sisters were involved and then later did a press conference like you know we'll get to that but he does a press conference and says that the twins weren't involved in the murder because Nina or Dina was seen on video and Nina was given an alibi saying she was somewhere else. So, I mean, there is a potential that that alibi could have been incorrect. And of course there is some potential that she could have been involved. I'm just more likely leaning towards the fact that if anybody was involved, it would have been potentially Adam Shackney and he acted alone. I just have a hard Mm -hmm. time believing any woman would want to be involved in this. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, could she have thought that she was uh, being a vigilante for her sister? You know, I kind of I look at it in, you know, those two ways. And I don't know. I know for sure that I, you know, think that if anything, Adam definitely did this. But as far as someone else being there, I'm not sure. I think like if you were going to be a vigilante for your sister, I think it would be after the child had died, right? Like when you're in this place of total anger and like right now, there's still so many questions. She hasn't even spoken to Rebecca yet. So to go and do something so rash as to kill her, it just seems really, it just seems off to me. Whereas somebody like Adam could potentially just be using the reasoning of, you know, what happened to Max when really it looks like to many experts, a sexually motivated murder, if it is indeed a murder. So he could just be operating under the guise of he's doing this to, you know, restore justice and equilibrium to the universe or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, I I agree with you there. Yeah. Cause I didn't know that she hadn't talked to Dina at this point or, you know, knew that Max had died. Max hadn't died when Rebecca had died, right? So he was still alive until days after. Okay. So, so at that point, it had only been a couple of days that Max had been, you know, in the hospital and Nina had just arrived to be with her sister, Dina, I believe on the same day that Adam arrived. So okay. I, don't think, I don't think there was any communication between Adam and the sisters. Okay. 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 That makes sense because there's a lot about this case that I don't know. 
and there's like bits and pieces that I know. So I'm glad that you're clearing that up for me. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you're wondering, then definitely other people are wondering too, right? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are. So it seems tragedy upon tragedy has piled on for Jonah. Just when it seems that things can't get worse, his finances and the finances of Medesis take a direct hit. Stocks begin to plummet. For one reason or another that likely hasn't been disclosed to the public, possibly due to death threats, Jonah feels as though his life is in danger, and he hires armed guards to protect himself. Yeah, if he had no knowledge that this was going to happen to Rebecca, you know, I think protecting himself was a good idea. Um, but if he is a piece of scum that knew something was going to happen or may have had a hand in planning it, I think it's, um, twisted that so many people who, you know, hurt or kill others, they don't want to have any pain inflicted upon themselves, you know, but however, hurting that other person, you know, was no issue and didn't matter to him if he did know you know i don't know that he did know anything but just if he possibly did that's how i feel if he didn't know at all he definitely had the money to hire people that's for sure to protect him and i think if you're in fear of your life and you know you have the resources to do something like that then that's a good idea I tend to believe that he had nothing to do with Rebecca's death, either in planning it or orchestrating it or anything. But we do have to ask the question, is there something else going on behind the scenes in his business dealings that made him believe that there was potential that maybe somebody else from, you know, his past or that he's dealt with would have done this to Rebecca, you know, to pay him back for something. That's just speculation, but it's worth asking since he hired protection. Yeah, I definitely see where you're going with that. And because of later, how, well, he kind of thinks, you know, Adam could have never done this. So that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And I think when examining something like that, if it's, you're looking at either this unknown person who could have been, you know, somebody you've dealt with in the past, maybe they lost money, maybe you fired them. It's a lot Mm -hmm. easier to believe someone like that would do it than your own brother. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Right from the outset, Jonah was quick to act. He called the ex-DA who worked as a private attorney to consult. This man was reportedly a heavy hitter who carried a huge amount of sway in the area. It seemed confusing to many why he would make that call, but I don't find it strange. Jonah is a wealthy, powerful man, and given this scenario, he will need to protect his interests and also the interests of his stockholders. This may appear uncooperative, but it doesn't seem that strange to me. What are your thoughts, Paige? Yeah, yeah, I can see it from both sides, to be honest. You know, what is true intentions were I don't know but both theories do make sense to me why call so fast if you don't have anything to hide however you can also look at the other side of things and you know making that call to possibly make sure that everything is taken care of you know that his stockholders are okay and he's okay and you know like like you said what if some what if he thinks somebody from there is going to hurt him and did this to Rebecca so it makes sense in that way Exactly. Like we just, we don't know to get to the point where he is being this like wealthy and powerful CEO, you would have had to burn a few bridges and make a few people really angry and lose some money for, I'm sure some powerful people themselves. So 
it's it's kind of understandable that Jonah would take these measures. And I also understand if the stock is plummeting, that he could be worried that somebody connected to either an investor or somebody else is going to hold him responsible for, you know, losing a ton of money and then come after him in some way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could see that. After a relatively short investigation, the San Diego Sheriff's Department issue a press conference and they reveal that Max Jackney's death was an accident. They give an explanation of the paint on the Razor scooter. They also go on to note that the face first plant into the floor caused head injuries and spinal cord injuries. This caused damage to the heart and lungs, eventually causing Max's death five days after his tragic fall from the second floor banister at Spreckles Mansion. You know, I really hope that no one would do that to Max. And I definitely would never, ever think that Rebecca would do that. But I really do think it was a freak accident. You know, I hate so much that he couldn't pull through it. You know, it must have been a, it must have been pure raw emotions and mentally overwhelming when he died. I cannot even put myself in that in that mind frame because I will just probably cry. <laughs> but, you know, I just really don't think I think it was a freak accident. I mean, what would you what do you think? Oh, I think it was a freak accident too. I think there are some elements that are unexplainable, but I think it's even more absurd to think that Rebecca was responsible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, with shag carpet It is from, okay, so from what I remember, like my grandma having some shag carpet back in the day, (laughs) um, and I would try to rollerblade in her house and wheels get stuck and it's really hard to move in that shag carpet. So I just think that maybe his wheel got snagged or something possibly, and that caused him to go over, but I'm not... I'm not sure, but I know it was some kind of freak accident. I just, I feel that in my heart. Yeah, I do too. I think that Rebecca did everything that she could to save Max's life in the in that situation. She did CPR. She got her sister Zena to call 911. But I also understand like the crushing pain, devastation and grief that is, you know, that Dina is experiencing right now. And so I can understand why she wants to look for another reason, like somebody to blame other than it just being an accident. Like, I think that's a really natural reaction, right? Yeah, I do too. And I don't think that Zena would do it either, but like you said, they sometimes just have to have someone to blame. And unfortunately that would be on Rebecca. And that's so sad. Yeah, it's really sad. I think given the situation, there's just so many victims in this story and so many people who are experiencing just an insurmountable, you know, amount of grief. And it's just so heartbreaking. It is. The sheriff's department isn't finished. They still have Rebecca's death to cover. They've come prepared. They show a video where a police officer was able to bind her own hands in a similar fashion, showing that it is indeed possible. However, this is only part of the equation. It doesn't explain the noose around the neck, the gag and the foot bindings, and how exactly Rebecca launched herself over the balcony, as well as some curious head wounds that didn't appear to be from this process. There were many unanswered questions. The police didn't find fingerprints to tie anyone else to this. In fact, there were hardly any fingerprints of Rebecca's, not even on the doorknob. 
I don't know, but this just seems suspect. The absence of evidence isn't the same as evidence of absence. Yeah, because whoever did this, since my theory is that this, you know, was in fact murder, um, they would take the time to wipe away everything, all the fingerprints. So it's very interesting and convenient that, you know, people would even think that she would do that beforehand. I, I don't get that. And I don't think like she would have taken the time to clean things up. I think if you're going to complete suicide and you have it in your mind that this is what you're going to do, I don't think someone's going to think, well, let me just clean my fingerprints off of everything. And like, it just doesn't make sense. And the way that she was, my theory is, if she were to do this to herself, and I'll probably get into this later, but it doesn't make sense how you could do all of this to yourself. And I'll explain, you know, a little bit about my answer, you know, my theory of why not in a little bit. It's just so much to do to yourself. And it's so elaborate and theatrical to kind of construct this plan in such a short period of time and then also execute it. So the police believe that Rebecca was so committed to completing suicide that she bound not only her hands, but her feet as well. Why her feet? If one is hanging, it's not as if they can kick their way out of the predicament. This element has always confused me. Yeah, I don't think in the slightest that someone would tie their feet. Again, you know, I've heard that they're nautical type of knots, um, Adam, uh, allegedly. uh, Allegedly. (laughs) But, you know, I just don't think people would do any of these things before attempting or completing suicide. They're just not going to do it. I think they're going to do it the easiest and quickest way to get it over with. And as bad as I know that sounds, it's usually the case. And, you know, they're not going to take time to make intricate knots and put a shirt in their mouth and possibly, you know, sexually do something with a knife handle I just don't believe that. And I want to know how she could realistically bind her hands and her feet like she did and then manage to hang herself. Unless, you know, there was an evidence of like, okay, she could have been standing on a stool with like the noose already around her neck. And then she took the time to do all these intricate knots and then maybe kick the stool. But I don't think there's any evidence there that suggests that. So I think binding your hands and feet and then somehow hanging, like, how is that even possible? I just don't get why someone would do it. It just seems like an extra theatrical add-on that there is no actual practical purpose for. Because you can kick your feet all you want. It's not going to free you from a noose. Right. I get binding the hands because it could prolong the experience. If you're grabbing at the noose and you're getting air and you're, it could take a lot longer to die if you are intent on completing suicide, but binding the feet, there's no practical reason for it. No, there's not at all. Also, we're to believe that a completely coherent Rebecca was making future plans to call her mother at 6am, as we mentioned earlier. And then makes the leap to scrawling messages in paint on the back of walls that are both cryptic and really confusing. And she also would have had to do this with a great deal of discomfort, as experts have said that someone around the height of 5'11 likely wrote this message. Rebecca was 5'2", and there was no stool found near the door. There was no high heels either, so how would Rebecca have written this message? 
Yeah, and she would have had to have on nine-inch heels at that. So, yeah. I mean, no, that that's another total giveaway right there. I'm 5'2". There's no way that I could reach that height without a stepping stool. And, you know, like you said, there, there wasn't one there. So, I just, I don't understand how they're coming to the conclusion that she did this. There's no way. Yeah. And it just, it's such a creepy message, like to remind everybody, she saved him. Can you save her? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, what does this mean? And so we know that the height was said to have been around five foot 11. Adam Shackknight comes in right around five foot 11 at five foot 10. So much closer to the height, experts believe the individual who wrote the message was. I mean, I don't get why they rule this as suicide at all. They have all the evidence that points to someone else, specifically Adam. And here you and I are talking about this. And many other people listening are probably the majority are agreeing with us. How can so many people look at this and tell allegedly exactly what's going on? And these people just drop the ball or... I don't know what they're thinking. I, I don't know. We can only speculate, but I think the lack of concrete physical evidence to tie anyone else to the scene was basically their main motivation in saying it was suicide. Like, it doesn't look like suicide, but they're saying, well, we're never going to solve this case if, it's a, if we label it a homicide. We've got nothing to tie anyone here. So we may as well just say that it's a suicide. And like, mm-hmm. I know that's dramatic and it probably didn't go exactly as that. And I'm not trying to blame the police, but it does feel slightly negligent here because even the reporters covering it said, this isn't a suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to come down hard on police when it's not warranted. But here, I just feel like, I'm sorry, guys, but you just dropped the ball. And that happens in so many cases. And I get that there, you know, there was no evidence to tie anybody to it, because whoever it was, they wiped everything away. And to think that Rebecca did that is completely ridiculous to me. And so we've got somebody here that clearly knows forensic countermeasures and clearly knows exactly what they're doing because there's barely any fingerprints. They're barely anywhere, but that doesn't mean that somebody wasn't there. It's just a big evidence-sized hole where there should be evidence, but it's not there. And that shouldn't point away from there being a perpetrator. It should point towards there being a criminally sophisticated perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Someone that was trying to be very smart. And you would think somebody in that field would recognize that. Even, you know, can you, I don't, okay, this is going to be a totally dumb question, but can you label something a homicide? Even, you know, if all the evidence points towards that this was a murder and not a suicide, all the evidence points to that, but could you not label it something else other than suicide? Like undetermined, you know, yeah, something like that. Undetermined at least leaves the option open for investigators to investigate it as a potential homicide, whereas suicide, it gives them absolutely zero motivation to investigate this because it's literal case closed. Yeah, it's so sad to me. It is. Also, experts examined both Rebecca's and Adam's handwriting. The message on the door was right-leaning, and Rebecca's handwriting was left-leaning. Adam's handwriting was right-leaning, just like the message on the door. Also, there was what was described as a stylized M, 
where the second line on the M extends a greater distance than the first line. This is nearly identical on the wall message, as well as in Adam Shackney's handwriting sample, according to defense expert used at the civil trial. There is the problem with the sample in that there was only Adam and Rebecca's handwriting used, so it was difficult to say conclusively that it was Adam's, just that it was far more likely to have been written by Adam than Rebecca. Are you kidding me right now? So they have Adam's handwriting and they made him, you know, his M is exactly like that. And you would think that's a tiny piece of evidence right there. I didn't know anything about the handwriting just now. And the fact that his handwriting, you know, leans right. I mean, I just don't, this just adds another tiny detail. Like these are tiny details that add up to a big picture. It definitely does. And I think the problem with the handwriting is it is a subjective science. This isn't a hard science. You're looking at something that there there is a great deal of subjectivity. So you've got one expert that isn't going to agree with the next. It's not like DNA analysis where you can do an objective analysis. It's it's really different. And the problem with this guy, his name was Adam Walkshaw. He got up on the stand and when they were asking him questions, he said they had to ask him if he used Photoshop. And when he was using it to basically illustrate the M's, you have to use it to like label different parts and to write different things. You know what I mean, right? Uh huh. Yeah. 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 And so he had to admit it. But people in the jury don't always know that Photoshop can be used for other things outside of just manipulating an image. And right. so I think it, it made him look like he lost some credibility. But I really think that it was just kind of a natural part of his investigation. Yeah. And, and, you know, people are very skilled in Photoshop and there's so much that we think is useless knowledge that people can use for other things that are, you know, pretty bad. Exactly. And like if we're looking at a sample size of, you know, DNA comparisons and you've only got two, you're only running a sample against, you know, two other people and you don't have all of these other samples. I think and it was say there's very few markers, right? You mm-hmm. might you might only be able to rule someone in or rule someone out, but you can't conclusively say it's that person to, you know, it's a one in, you know, a billion that it's that person. You can't say that. You can just say, well, it's more likely to be this person than the other person, or I can rule this person in or rule this person out. And it seems sort of like he was ruling Rebecca out, but he couldn't rule out Adam, but couldn't conclusively say it was him either. Yeah. And did they check to see if it was just her DNA on her own body? Like, I wonder if they checked like her whole body, because you think if he had to lift her up, then his DNA would probably be on her. Unless he wore gloves. Ah, I don't know. It's just there's certain parts of this that aren't investigated like a murder. So we really don't know as far as forensic and DNA collection and exactly what they did. But insofar as I know, only Rebecca's DNA was tied to the scene. But that doesn't mean that somebody else wasn't there. It just means that somebody else may have potentially taken the proper precautions to make sure Mm -hmm. that they cleaned up after themselves or potentially wore gloves. Yeah, and it's not uncommon in a lot of uh, just disturbing cases where they clean the body off. It's gross, but yeah, he could have cleaned her off afterwards in certain places where he touched her. So that's that's entirely possible, right? I didn't even think about that. He could have wiped her down while he's wiping down potentially or allegedly wiping down walls, (laughs) wiping down the acrylic paint, 
the handle of the knives, right? Like all of those things where there is no fingerprints. Yeah. Very thought out. Yeah. So Dina Shacknai isn't happy with the San Diego Sheriff's Department's conclusion that Mac's death was an accident. She hires pathologist Dr. Judy Melanick, who believes that certain factors line up with Max's death being a murder. For one, Dr. Melanick doesn't believe that on this thick shag carpeting that Max would have been able to get up to his speed fast enough to launch himself and his scooter over the banister, given his short stature. Dr. Melanick believed it was possible that Rebecca was angry at Max for some reason, And during an attempt to punish him, he'd gone over the banister accidentally. She believes Rebecca was lying when she recalled that Max had uttered one word, Ocean, the name of the dog. Due to his injuries, Dr. Melanick believed this was impossible. There was also what Dr. Melanick described as unexplained head injuries that she didn't believe are indicative of a simple fall as the accident theory would suggest. Max fell on his face and there are injuries to the back of his head as well as the front. Dina was floored. Initially, she believed that Rebecca may have had something to do with the death of her son, but she later changed her tune. Dina didn't abandon that someone may have killed Max for other reasons, as well as Rebecca. The reasons seem vague and slightly convoluted, but like I completely empathize with Dina, and I understand why she is trying to make sense of such a loss. To lose a six-year-old child, her only child, my heart goes out to both Dina and Jonah. Yeah, of course. You know, my heart goes out to them as well i can't fathom having this happen to myself if i had children you know i think when people are hurting and they don't want to believe something terrible you know an accidental happened they want to turn the blame on someone and anyone to justify in their minds that you know someone did something awful and you know rebecca was there Zena was there and it just makes Rebecca easier easier to blame for her because you know Rebecca is with Jonah and I think there was some jealousy there so I just don't think that she could accept that this was a total accident and I know Rebecca wouldn't do that and like I said before I just think it was interesting that he was riding on this thick shag carpet and I just think that it could have possibly one of the wheels could have gotten stuck. And I know you can push it with your foot, but maybe something just really freak accidents happen all the time and you can't explain them sometimes. It's just freak accidents. So, you know, I don't think Rebecca would hurt a child and I don't think that she had that in her. I don't think that was in her at all. Even if she was just so mad at him over something, there's no way. You know, I know people can snap and do things that they normally wouldn't do. But really, what are your thoughts about it? Because I just, unless, you know, I don't guess Adam was there and had anything to do with this allegedly. So, I mean, if Rebecca and Zena were the only ones in the house, I just don't find this to make sense in my mind. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I'm much more inclined to believe that it was a freak accident and somehow, for some reason, we can't explain the physics of how Max went over the banister. We have the paint on the scooter, the pulled down chandelier. We know he went over this. He went over the banister. So if she was punishing him and he went over, it wouldn't make sense why the paint would be on the scooter, right? Right, right. Yeah, it indicates that he hit that banister at a fairly high speed enough to get transfer paint from the banister to the scooter, which looks to me like it's a freak accident. I just don't see the Rebecca Zahow that we know about or a 13-year-old girl, Zena, doing this. It just seems like yeah. a freak accident. Definitely. I yeah, and Zena is only 13, so and she's on in her own probably little teenage world and being Rebecca's sister, she probably had the same, you know, beliefs as her and, you know, I don't think that she would hurt a child at all. So I just think it's really hard for some people to accept that things were freak accidents and, you know, the way that certain things on his head, the injuries, you know, sometimes things like that, you just, if you weren't there to see it, you can't really explain it. Yeah, I think so too. I, who knows about maybe he hit the side of his head first and then planted on his face. I don't understand the physics of it. It's difficult. And obviously, Dr. Melanick had challenges with this as well. But I just don't also understand the physics of somebody punishing him, throwing him over, and how the paint would have got on the scooter. That doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, it doesn't. So Dina Shackney was not the only family member unhappy with the conclusions reached by the San Diego Sheriff's Department. Rebecca's family was incensed. The Zahal family couldn't understand why, given the bizarre circumstances of Rebecca's death, that why would it be classified as a suicide? It just didn't make any sense in their opinions. And they weren't alone. Many of the public and the press, they didn't understand the conclusions drawn by investigators, believing this was murder and not suicide. Yeah, I mean, like I've said, it just blows me away that they came to that conclusion and they didn't seem to use any of their common sense. You know, I can't wrap my mind around it personally. It's like all common sense flew out of the window. And you would think people that like forensics and people that are so smart, you would think that they would catch these things. And I just don't, it, it just makes me so sad. Yeah, it makes me sad and it also makes me angry because it just feels like there's so much here to point towards murder. And it also feels like they said, oh, we don't have any DNA at the scene. There's no fingerprints. It has to be suicide. But there's so many things that point away from suicide that it should have at least been classified as undetermined. So they had the ability to potentially open up the case later and investigate it as a murder if new evidence came to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you should just rule something a suicide right away just because there's someone who allegedly wiped everything clean because just all of that doesn't make sense. So 
the whole thing about them not classifying this as undetermined, it, it just blows me away. I can't, I just, it makes me angry. <laughs> yeah, me too. The Zahal family was angry as well, and they were swinging for the fences. They hired famous pathologist Dr. Cyril Weck to consult on the case. They exhumed Rebecca's body so that Dr. Weck could perform a full autopsy. Dr. Weck is like Dr. Michael Bodden. In the world of pathologists, he's like Brad Pitt. Not in, not in looks, but in reputation and fame. Just to give you an idea of some of the cases he's consulted on, Robert F. Kennedy in 1968, from the Manson murders, the Tate-LaBianca cases. Dr. Wecht is also portrayed by Albert Brooks in the Will Smith movie Concussion about CTE in Major League Football. Dr. Wecht is thought to be one of the best in the world, certainly in the United States. During his career of 56 years at the time of the documentary, He's performed over 20,000 autopsies and had never seen a woman commit suicide naked. Dr. Weck believed this was highly improbable, especially with the other odd details factored in. Yeah, I mean, finally, I feel like someone with their wits about them, some common sense has entered the chat. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. It is just unreal that no investigator, even the women on the team who I would expect to also look at this case in the viewpoint and perspective of being a woman themselves. This is just not something a lot of women, I dare to say all women, but I'm I'm not going to say all women, but most women just would not do this. And to me, the nakedness was something that, man, it just makes me feel like that someone trying to put her on display to try to humiliate her in front of anyone that may see it. You know, the only way I can possibly even imagine a woman completing suicide while naked would be in a bathtub. I've definitely heard cases of women and younger girls who have just tragically, sadly, cut themselves and bled out in their bathtubs. But other than that, I can't think of a woman who is, who, you know, has completed suicide in this manner. And if I'm wrong, I can completely accept that, but I just don't know of any personally, um, which doesn't mean there has never been. I just, I don't think it's typical at all. It's extremely atypical. And even women who commit suicide in the bathtub often do so wearing like a dressing gown or a nightgown. A lot mm, of them that is true. A lot of them don't do so stark naked. It's difficult to do knowing that all of these people are going to see your naked body upon discovering you. Yes, that that's it. That is very true. So during the second autopsy, some curious head injuries are found that I mentioned previously. There are four subscalpular injuries. These are head injuries that, according to Dr. Weck, are not a result of hanging, going so far as to say there is no structure that Rebecca would have hit her head on to cause these injuries. This is evident when looking at the scene where Rebecca's body was discovered. There is a balcony, then nothing, nothing she could have hit her head on. Presumably, those head injuries had to have happened prior to Rebecca going over the balcony. The earth-shattering findings of Dr. Wecht, well, they don't stop there. It's possible that Rebecca may have been dead before she went over the balcony. This is possible because there is very little damage to the tissue, trachea, and Adam's apple that is typical in most hangings. It's not present here. What is not typical in hanging deaths is a broken hyoid bone. This is more in line with manual strangulation. And guess what Dr. Wecht finds? I have a clue. I have a clue. The bone is broken. Let me guess. (laughs) Yes. 
He finds a broken hyoid bone on Rebecca Zahao. Dr. Weck believes due to this new evidence he has uncovered that Rebecca didn't kill herself. She was murdered. Zahal family attorney Anne Bremner is floored. She takes the findings of Dr. Wecht and presents them to authorities, hoping they will change their ruling, at least from suicide to undetermined. It's clear the medical examiner and the San Diego Sheriff's Department aren't budging on their initial ruling. The main reason authorities cite suicide as the manner of death is the fact that there is no physical evidence to tie anyone else to the scene. This doesn't seem to add up as an explanation in my personal opinion, though, like especially when we consider that there are barely any of Rebecca's fingerprints found at the scene and on the places she would have touched, there are none, not even smudges. It does seem like a more convenient explanation, given that if they did change the ruling, Rebecca's case would likely sit open, an unsolved case for this very same reason. Even if authorities believe Adam Shacknai or some other individual was responsible, they likely wouldn't have enough evidence to tie that person to Rebecca's murder. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But, you know, even if they did just leave the case open and leave it unsolved, I think that that, you know, as sad as this may sound, and as I don't know, Maybe this isn't a good opinion to a lot of people, but at least it wouldn't be ruled a suicide that you know didn't happen. I don't know. That's just, that's my opinion. But I'm with you on everything. It's sad because like we've said, there's no concrete evidence. And even knowing everything we do, there's no proof. So there's no way to connect someone to this tragedy You know, and it's really frustrating when things like this happen, when you just know with not only common sense and your heart, but you just everything just doesn't line up with suicide and there's no physical evidence and they couldn't even hold Adam because the polygraph test was inconclusive. So there was nothing. The fact that if what we think allegedly happened did, in fact, take place It's just very vile that he got away with it. And anyone that may have known or possibly may have been there at the time that this was happening, that they got away with it, too. It's just the devastation and anger is so real with this one for me. There's so many things to be angry about. The lack of investigation into, you know, the potential of it being murder is the thing that makes me the most angry because we have so many questions that are left unanswered due to the fact that it was ruled a suicide, in my personal opinion. Yeah, and like I said, I think it would be just my opinion. If somebody I know and I love, if they ruled it a suicide when there's all the evidence there to prove that it's pretty much not, I would rather it just say unsolved. I wouldn't want that to go down as a suicide when, you know, it's clear that it wasn't. Yeah, because it's... When you rule it a suicide, there's something so final about that. It's case closed, right? Unsolved and undetermined. At least that leaves a question mark there. But for investigators, it's all about closing cases and it's all about statistics, right? Yeah. So I think that's what it came down to here. That's what it feels like it came down to. I can't say if that is the main reason, but it feels like there is so much to point towards at least keeping it open. Yeah, I agree. The Zahal family prepares to launch a civil trial. Since it had become crystal clear that the manner of death isn't changing anytime soon, and Rebecca's case is not being investigated further, 
they decide to hire attorney Keith Greer for civil proceedings. His initial theory that we talked about earlier includes Dina and Nina, Max's mother and Jonah's ex-wife, as well as her twin sister, who he posits attacked Rebecca, causing her head injury and incapacitating her. And Adam Shackney tied her up and staged the scene. This theory doesn't hold weight for long since there is video evidence of Dina Shackney, who was at the hospital, and someone gives Nina Romano an alibi, saying she was with them that night. Keith Greer does a joint press conference with the twins, apologizing for involving them, and Dina accepts his apology. So this is what I kind of have an issue with because there's something telling me that Nina could have been there. You know, not only just because I think I heard a second voice on the 911 call, but I just, I still think that she possibly wanted to do this for her sister or maybe Adam maybe called her up and was like, hey, I need help with this. I really don't know. But when somebody else gives you an alibi, I don't think that holds a lot of weight. I mean, can you, do you have anything else to prove that you weren't there, you know, and you were actually somewhere else? So I don't know. It's, it's just really hard. And I don't know if, you know, I don't want to blame that, you know, I don't want to say Nina was 100% there because I absolutely do not know. And that's just pure speculation on my part. But since they really did believe that, you know, Rebecca did something malicious to Max, it's just not that far out of reach to me that it could have possibly happened that way. But, you know, I'm really glad that the family didn't let this go and they fought for what they, you know, they fought for what they believed in. And that that's something. And I'm I'm glad for that. Yeah, it's really difficult to say. I'm not sure who the person who gave Nina the alibi was. It could have been if she was staying at a hotel, it could have been somebody completely impartial. It depends if it's somebody who's motivated to lie for her or not. And I'm Mm -hmm. not sure who it was, but. At the end of the day, I just have a hard time believing that she would conspire with Jonah's weird brother. Like, imagine, (laughs) you know, you and your sister are at the hospital and you're worried about Max. I think your worry would be there. It would be worried about Max Mm. getting better and you would want answers to questions. But I wouldn't think that, you know, you would be feeling like murdering somebody until after he died or took a turn for the worst. And at this point... They didn't know about him taking a turn for the worst until about 1230. And I don't even think Nina was present at the time. I think she was alibied at that time. And Dina was at the hospital. So I don't know. I mean, anything is possible. I can't 100% say. I just have a, I just personally don't think that either one of the sisters was involved. I just have a hard time believing they would conspire with Adam. Like he's so strange. And (laughs) I don't think. Yeah, right? Like, I'm sure Dina had a relationship with him from when her and Jonah were together, but I can imagine it would have been forced. Like, Jonah's outgoing and gregarious and charming, and Adam's not any of those things. True. Very true. For those of you unfamiliar with the difference between civil and criminal court, let's touch on the important parts quickly. Criminal court can send you to jail as well as make you pay fines if you are found guilty of charges. However, the burden of proof is much higher. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. So all 12 jurors must believe someone is guilty beyond any doubt that is reasonable. This usually requires not only circumstantial evidence, but physical evidence as well. Civil charges carry no jail time. There are fines or settlements ordered to be paid. The burden of proof is far lower. There are times where civil verdicts have been used as a catalyst for criminal prosecutors to indict individuals in criminal court. 
though that is not always or usually the case. In criminal court, all 12 jurors have to agree, as I just mentioned. In civil court, only nine out of 12 have to agree. Also, it's preponderance of evidence, just that it's more likely than not that this person did what they're accused of. The judge allows the case of Adam Shacknight to proceed in civil court. Yeah, and I think that even, okay, so this is where my memory does get a bit foggy as to what happened in court, and I haven't read up on this in a while, so I'm interested to hear how this all went down in court, but if um, he does end up, you know, being guilty in court, I know he wouldn't get any jail time for it, but at least for the family, that would probably make them feel better a little. At least it's something, right? And yeah. Watching Adam Shackney testify, personally, like I found disturbing. He seems smug and cold. There's no warmth, no regard for Rebecca or her family. I understand what he's dealing with, but he comes across poorly on the stand. Adam's brother Jonah obviously dropped a pretty penny on lawyers as he hired the big guns attorney, Dan Webb, as well as other successful and high-powered lawyers. It seems that no expense was spared on Adam Shackney's defense. This was obviously due to the deep pockets of Jonah, who is loyal to his brother and stood by his side during the entire ordeal. Ugh. And still, like I said, the possibility, the tiniest possibility that he may have asked Adam to do this is not completely out of the realm of reality in my mind. So, you know, at the same time, I realize that people handle terrible situations and trauma differently, but, you know, like to have all this circumstantial evidence and, you know, how I feel Adam is guilty. To me, that's probably a huge factor in the way he came off on the stand, not to mention he's just like an oddball anyway, but, Ugh, it it all just kind of makes me cringe. I don't know. And, you know, at the same time, that's Jonah's brother. And if he had n- no idea, then, of course, he would try to do everything he could because he probably doesn't want to believe that Adam could do something like that. Yeah, and I think that's just it. Like, I've got a hard time judging Jonah's choice to support his brother. And, you know, even the things that he does that other people call into question, Jonah's lost so much at this point. And I think that we always want to believe the best about the people that we love, especially family. And I think that's what's going on here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because like, if I think in the way that Jonah has no idea, he's gone through all of this trauma And now he doesn't really want to, in a way, lose his brother, too. So it would make sense that he would defend him with all he could, even if a slight part of him was like, maybe he did do it. You know, family members do things like this all the time, where even if they think, you know, well, could it be possible? Yeah, but, you know, I don't want to lose my family. It's kind of like a selfish thing, but. Family members do that for each other. And in this case, Jonah just may have thought, you know, there's no way my brother could have done that. And he could have been just dropping money on expensive lawyers and everything because he was convinced that Adam didn't do it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what happened. And yeah, like you said, even if on some level he believes it. I think you've when you've lost so much, you don't want to lose everything. You want to try to protect whatever it is you have left. And I think having his brother there 
is obviously important to him and I can't judge him for that. Yeah. I, yeah, I do agree with that. You know, we never know how we're going to respond. And, you know, when, when family is all you have left and there's no way, you know, in your mind that you think someone can do that, you're, you're going to try to protect them. Exactly. So at this point, attorney Keith Greer had a revised theory that doesn't include Nina and Dina. After his press conference apology in April of 2017, this theory is completely Adam-centric. Keith asserts that Adam assaulted Rebecca physically and sexually, and then staged the scene to look like a suicide. Strange elements such as the black paint on the nipples. Why would Rebecca put paint on her own nipples? This seems so bizarre. Yeah, plus, I mean, the fact that not not to mention that she doesn't even want anyone to see her nude, but why would you do that to your nipples when you know, I don't know. It just, to me, this is where I got the idea that this was very theatrical because it's something that a twisted person would do. Um, allegedly, Adam wanted this scene to look a certain way in his mind. Like uh, he wanted this very dramatic looking scene, if that makes sense. Like the writing on the wall, her hanging naked in such a way that seems somewhat theatrical with her nipples censored. So it's just so strange. It's cryptic and it seems very thought out. I mean, with the scene being completely clean, however the phone was dropped on the floor or, you know, not sitting somewhere, it just feels like she was fighting for her life. And like the um, doctor said previously, she was obviously strangled to death. I mean, allegedly, but that's what the doctor, you know, decided that everything, nothing matched up with the hanging. And I'm sure they probably hit her head on the floor, at, you know, trying to sexually assault her. And he it just hung her up on display. And that's how I personally feel about it. I don't believe for a second that she would do all this stuff to herself. It's just a lot and very, very theatrical and dramatic. And like the way that I, I've never, I haven't seen any photos or anything like that, but I just picture the black paint being like a censoring kind of thing. Like it's very much like movie esque kind of the way that this is set up. Yeah, it sounds sort of like theatrical or like a fetish thing. Like it sounds like something a man would do and not a woman, right? Like to put the the yeah. noose over the hair, to put the gag in the mouth. Any woman would reflexively with long hair, pull her hair out, I would think from underneath, because why would you want that pulling on your hair? Yeah. And, and like we said before, you know, with us having long hair, we're constantly doing that because it's just like, it's reflexive, like you said. And it's just something that, oh my gosh, it just bothers me to even think about. Like I'm pulling at my hair right now, <laughs> just right? thinking about it, like something being around my hair that like all women do that out of reflect, uh, like out of a reflex. So totally. that's spot on. And I also, like this seems like a strange thing, but I've got a problem with the fact that, you know, she's got her period, she's bleeding all over the floor. And she doesn't have a tampon in. And the fact that she decided to commit suicide naked while on her period as being a woman and a woman who is modest, such as Rebecca, Mm -hmm. that's just another level of embarrassment, right? It's like, 
you know, to be found naked and to be bleeding on yourself. It's just a whole other level of, you know, intimacy with whoever finds your body and to invite those people to see that it it just seems inexplicable to me. Uh, I agree 100%. There's, there's no way just in my mind, there's no way, especially like you said, being on our period and like bleeding for everyone to see as well as being naked. There's no way that makes sense. There's also a neighbor from a few doors down who believes she hears a scream around midnight from a woman in her 30s asking for help. This would line up with after Rebecca got off the phone with her sister Mary and possibly when she was surprised coming out of the shower. Though I don't know exactly how the woman would have been able to tell the age of the woman screaming for help. Yeah, she made a, you know, people can be nervous or maybe something like that and she just threw an age out there you know i'm not sure it's pretty odd however you know i think that maybe what happened i do believe in my heart that the neighbor heard that and i know we all know that witnesses aren't always credible either but can you imagine I'm sure she was not silent when she was allegedly murdered. I'm sure that she was screaming. So I'm leaning a lot towards believing this neighbor because I really think she heard it. My only issue with this is you're in Coronado, not Compton. How often do you hear people crying and screaming for help? Why didn't you call the police? Mm, Yeah. Not a high crime area. So why was this woman just like hearing this woman scream multiple times asking for help and doing nothing. Mm, so maybe this was like maybe an attention thing for her. Maybe, maybe. this woman want, wanted attention. Maybe she just didn't want to get involved. I'm not saying she didn't hear it. I tend to believe she did hear it as well. I just take issue with the fact that she didn't call the police. Yeah, same. Oh, gosh. Because if I were to hear someone scream, that would be my first instinct is to call. So, I mean... I have no idea why she didn't call the police if she did hear this, which I would imagine, you know, Rebecca was probably screaming. So either she's doing this for attention or she really heard it and she ignored it. Yeah, like it's difficult to know exactly. They lived right across from the beach and like I live across from the beach. So I know I often hear screams coming from that area. It's often squealing children and stuff. And it can sometimes sound like someone's in trouble, but it's usually squeals of joy. I mean, maybe it's also evening, so you're not going to hear screams in the evening very often, no matter really where you are, I wouldn't think. So I don't know. I guess we can kind of speculate on and on about why this woman didn't call. Maybe she's just one of those people that doesn't like to get involved. True. Maybe she thought it was like a domestic dispute and she's like, I don't want anything to do with that or, you know, something. And yeah. And that's a good point because she was said to be an elderly woman. So she was maybe from a generation where that was handled between the couple and she assumed that's what it was. Ah, That's very, that's very true too. So the knots were a huge point of contention at trial. Jonah takes the stand and tells the court that Rebecca and he went boating all the time and that Rebecca used to tie off the boat. Her sister Mary says they rarely went boating and that Jonah's exaggerating. And even Jonah's forced to admit in the stand that he hadn't seen these type of knots ever tied by Rebecca. Many who listened to his testimony believe that Jonah was telling little white lies to make his brother Adam appear less likely to be responsible. Like, who knows? Perhaps Jonah believed in his heart that his brother had nothing to do with this. 
And then remember at this point, Jonah had lost his girlfriend, Rebecca, his son, Max, and now he could potentially have his brother Adam's name smeared across the media more than it already was. I'm not trying to point the finger at Jonah, just saying that I would understand why, if he did indeed tell white lies to protect his brother. There could have potentially been pressure from the family to protect Adam as well. There could have been a myriad of factors that contributed to Jonah having Adam's back. And I find it really difficult to cast judgment because I am sure that Jonah believes in Adam's innocence wholeheartedly. Yeah. And and the more we talk about it, the more that I tend to believe that maybe, you know, Jonah had no idea. So that's got to be a tough spot to be in for Jonah. And, you know, I can't imagine that if I had a family member going through something like this and I'm thinking, I know this person, you know, I know for a fact they'd never do this. Or, you know, maybe if I even had an inkling that they may have done it. I don't know. That's that's just a really hard place to try to go in your mind. So I think it was just a lot of pressure on him. And even with all of this evidence in your face, you know, you may choose to put the blinders on and make an excuse for each thing that was done. And he could just be in denial about it. So I don't know the way that I haven't heard yet that Jonah has showed any emotion that kind of rubs me the wrong way. But I also try not to judge that because I do know that people handle trauma in different ways and they grieve in different ways. So I'm trying really, really hard not to judge off of that. Yeah, I'm I'm trying I'm starting to lean more that maybe Jonah didn't know and he was just in a really bad spot. Yeah, I agree. I think Jonah is just in a really tough spot. And I think he's given Rebecca's writings earlier. I think that Jonah's probably a more walled off emotional kind of person. Like he's not somebody that does outward displays of emotion. Doesn't mean that he doesn't feel them, but I don't think you get to a point of being CEO of a pharmaceutical company being you know, a softy, a softy. Yeah. And I am not saying that that makes him any less in touch with his emotions, but like, I'm somebody who maybe isn't always the best at always expressing my emotions and people can think that I'm walled off and that's not the case at all. It's just the way that I am. And so I can empathize with Jonah on that level because some people handle things differently. I shut down when I'm faced with a lot of grief. I don't cry boatloads of tears. I shut down emotionally. And so Mm -hmm. I can understand if that's kind of where he's coming from. I'm sure he's grieving on his own privately. He might just be the type of person who doesn't want to grieve publicly because you also have to take into account that he's a CEO of Medesis Pharmaceuticals, a pharmaceutical Mm -hmm. company that's taken a big hit lately. If this guy's crying out in public, what does that look like to investors? It doesn't look Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see your point for sure on, on that on that part as well. And, you know, like I said, people do grieve differently and I'm the type of person who is just an emotional wreck about everything. And I cry happy tears, bad tears. Like anytime I'm feeling anything, I, it is so obvious, but then I know people who do, I've never seen some of the people that I'm closest to cry before, You know, some people are just, you know, they handle things differently. And like you said, being the CEO of that company, it may not look very well if he is just like crying and falling apart because that kind of would maybe think, maybe make others think that, oh, this guy, he doesn't have it 
all together. Like you're going to handle stress and things like that. So I get that. Yeah. I think there's definitely other factors at play for the way he had to present himself and kind of put on this show of strength. There's, you know, you want to be vulnerable in, in private, but probably not in public given his position. Yeah. So Keith Greer, the attorney, knew the forensics in this case were puzzling. So he hired expert Lisa DeMeo to parse through the most confusing elements of the case. Lisa was very troubled by the lack of fingerprints all throughout the room. It appeared as though the room had been wiped down. There were no fingerprints on the door handles, as I mentioned throughout, or the rest of the door by the message. As mentioned previously, the chef's knife had no prints on the handle, only on the blade which lined up with Rebecca trying to free herself from bindings by attempting to cut a rope. According to Lisa DeMeo, that would explain the finger placement on the blade. There were no fingerprints on the second knife, only blood DNA belonging to Rebecca. That blood made its way into the recessed areas. Rebecca was meant... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Frustrating, but no other blood was coming from her body. So Lisa DeMeo believed it was possible that this knife was used to sexually assault Rebecca. It all lines up that way to me. And I agree with Lisa on all points on this. I think she's absolutely right. Do you have differing opinions about it? Or do you believe this as well? Oh, I 100% agree. There's no other blood coming from Rebecca's body. Why is there so much blood on this knife handle? Where did it come from, if not her vagina? Exactly. And, you know, I try to play devil's advocate like I have with the whole uh, Jonah situation the whole time, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to, you know, say, well, what if he did know and, you know, this and that. And I try to play devil's advocate about things. And with this certain detail, and I just I can't there's no other way for me to like where else would the blood have come from? There's just too much that with this detail, you can't really come to any other conclusion if she wasn't cut or she wasn't, you know, bleeding anywhere else. Where else would it have come from? So 
And she certainly wouldn't have inserted a steak knife handle into her own vagina. Like there is no reason that she would have done this. If she's trying to complete suicide, there is no element of this suicide that would ever call for that. No, it's like, and I'm totally not trying to be funny, but like, if you're knowing you're going to do this, there's no way that you're going to go get a steak knife and say, well, I need to masturbate with this knife handle before I get to like, there's, that makes no sense. No, it makes absolutely zero sense. There's no reason. It's a wooden steak knife handle. Why would any woman ever insert that vaginally? It makes no sense. Yeah, they wouldn't. Someone would have to do it to them. Mm -hmm. I agree. And the blood, there wasn't enough blood coming from her that it would have got into the recessed areas to have just bled out of her and onto Mm -hmm. the knife. It would have had to have been inserted in order to have gotten into those recessed areas, according to Lisa DeMeo. And I happen to agree. Yeah, I agree with her 100%. So as we spoke about earlier, Adam Walkshaw was the handwriting expert who testified that the message was likely written by Adam as opposed to Rebecca. The defense does manage to cast a shadow of doubt on his methods, as we mentioned, when asking yes or no questions about his use of Photoshop. He used Photoshop to highlight certain parts of the letters, not to manipulate. But when people hear Photoshop, like we said, they often assume manipulation for nefarious purposes. So this was like a bit of a problem for the prosecution. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, they use Photoshop to manipulate letters, pictures, and all this stuff. But however... With that knowledge of how you can manipulate letters, it's not crazy to think that this just so happened to come in handy for Adam, allegedly. Like I said before, there's a lot of just like so-called useless knowledge that we have that could be used for evil in situations if you have a twisted mind like that. And I just think that happened to be one of these situations where he was like, oh, I know something that I can do and I kind of know how to do it well and never thought that I had to would have to use this. But hey, it's it's so difficult. And with the handwriting, I mean, it is a really small sample size. I get that it's really subjective and it isn't hard science and you can conclusively say it like you can with DNA but I think when examining the totality of the evidence it is meaningful in my opinion that it's right leaning uh-huh. like Adam's handwriting and Rebecca's is left leaning it seems that even if you are masking your writing you would have a hard time masking which way your writing leans yeah. right yes yes I would think so too so the defense also called psychologist Dr. Berman to the stand to speak on Rebecca's state of mind The text messages and writings of Rebecca were touched upon, saying that she was clearly depressed and the imminent death of Max looming over her and being held responsible was likely just too much and she took her own life. However, Dr. Berman had never treated Rebecca in life and she was only speculating after death. I think it's all up for speculation at this point. And in regards to depression and feeling a massive amount of guilt, can that push some people off the edge? Definitely. But... That's not the case every time, you know, having depression and anxiety on top of feeling guilt. A lot of us deal with that and have dealt with that. And it doesn't mean that we'll all try to harm ourselves over it. So I think that was a smart move on the defense's end to play that card. But again, she thought of others before she thought about herself. And I don't think that she would do anything that she knew would cause her family any kind of pain, 
You know, and there's no doubt that she was having a hard time, but that doesn't mean that she was going to complete suicide over it. And unfortunately, that was just a smart move on the defense's end to bring that into play. Adam, as mentioned, doesn't come off well on the stand. He's smug and he answers questions in a really flippant way, saying, I don't recall or I don't remember. This leads to the obvious question. Rebecca died on that day. Why can't you remember these key details, Adam? Right. Like, he doesn't remember. He can't recall acting smug. It's just, it adds to the frustration because playing devil's advocate again, your mind can, in fact, block out traumatic events, you know, where you actually can't remember. So, um, do I believe that's true in this case? Absolutely not. But, However, the fact remains that people do experience that. So unfortunately, that could be used in this case, which definitely boils my blood when people lie and they try to pretend they cannot remember. And it's disrespectful to people that actually live with that and can't remember things because, you know, their minds have blocked it out subconsciously. And he is just a real piece of work. Yeah, I think in the eyes of the jury, Adam's cool demeanor and lack of concern for Rebecca or the family, it just did not win him any points. It got worse for him during closing arguments. Keith Greer brings in a life-size mannequin with similar proportions and long dark hair like Rebecca, and it's naked with the red rope. The noose over the long hair, exactly as Rebecca was discovered. It serves to solidify in the minds of the jurors just how bizarre the scenario is leaving them to question if anyone would indeed choose to commit suicide in this manner. Greer then gives a very vivid account for what he believed transpired that night at the Spreckles mansion. He believed Rebecca was surprised by Adam when she got out of the shower. He accosted her and that's when she dropped her towel and cell phone. Greer believes it is at this point that with some object or in some manner, Adam strikes Rebecca in the head, causing those four subscapular injuries discovered by Dr. Cyril Wecht. Greer then believes Adam binds and gags Rebecca, sexually assaults her with the steak knife handle, and then stages a scene to look like suicide, while carefully removing any trace of himself and most traces of Rebecca from the room. And I think that's exactly what happened. I can't find a way to argue any of those points uh, as far as my devil's advocacy goes. So, I mean, that's exactly what I think happened. And I think we're probably on the same wavelength with that one. Oh, yeah, I agree. That's what happened as well. The only thing that might have made it look fantastical initially was Keith Greer's initial theory that involved both twins and Adam Shacknai. That sounded uh-huh. something like something out of a soap opera and that these three mm-hmm. conspired together to murder and sexually assault Rebecca. But I think his second amended theory that didn't include the twins is entirely plausible and quite possible. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. I think it's it's exactly what happened. So as far as the high-priced defense team, like we're talking OJ Simpson level of a defense team here. They kept resting on one thing. And granted, it was a big thing. That there was no physical evidence to tie Adam Shacknight to the death of Rebecca Zahal. The jurors were clearly moved by Greer. Perhaps it was the mannequin or Adam's demeanor on the stand. For one reason or another, they sided with the prosecution. They believed that Adam Shacknai was responsible for the death of Rebecca Zahal and rewarded the family with a settlement of $5 million. Yeah, I think that's great that the family got the money. 
And, you know, I'm sure they were really appreciative of it. And maybe they got a tiny shred of peace about how the jury sided with the prosecution. You know, I believe it's an injustice that he wasn't put away for it. Like, I hate that. To be completely honest, I'd rather see someone get the book thrown at them rather than the other party receive money. But, you know, justice is just so much more important to me than money. And But if this is all that they could really get out of it, like, it's good that they got that peace of mind that, hey, we're not the only ones seeing this. The jury obviously sees, like, this is just unrealistic so i am happy that they did get something out of this you know money will never replace rebecca it can't bring her back and at the same time i mean locking him up or you know that can't bring him back either but um it would make him pay by taking away his rights and stripping him of his life in a sense but you know at least the family got a little something out of it i think this family was just so devastated by the loss of Rebecca. But we also have to remember, you know, yes, they couldn't get justice in a criminal court, but Rebecca herself had committed herself like wholeheartedly to supporting her family, like her parents and her other siblings. And Mm so I'm sure in, you know, if Rebecca's looking down, whatever, you know, you kind of aspire to, if you believe that she's there in her spiritual form, looking down, I'm sure she's happy to know that, her family in some regard is taken care of financially because it was something that was so important to her. Absolutely. I agree. And Adam was obviously unable to pay this full amount of $5 million. Like he had a good job as a tugboat captain, which pays a decent salary. However, he wasn't wealthy like his brother, Jonah. Sources differ where some say he came to an agreement with the family for $600,000, where in other sources, Adam says his insurance company came to the agreement without his knowledge. What is known for sure is that after the initial verdict, Adam looked like a complete asshat when he goes on camera calling the Zahal family a bunch of posers. I mean, why, Adam? Why? And I don't understand why he would call them posers like that. That in itself makes no sense to me as Adam makes no sense to me. (laughs) Like everything about this guy makes no sense, but it makes him look even worse, which I didn't even think was possible. But. I'm just shaking my head so hard over here. It's disgusting behavior and he's not taking into account that, you know, of their feelings and he's just a dirt bag. He definitely is. Like who goes that like this woman is dead regardless of how she was killed. This is a family that's hurting and I understand being, you know, you're being raked over the coals if you're innocent, but that isn't the way that you approach the media. You might say that privately, but you don't say it on camera in front of the world. Yeah, that that just made him uh, that made him look so much worse. Oh, has he lost touch with reality? Like, why would you ever do that? It makes you look so bad. Yeah. And if anybody didn't think you were, you know, guilty before, it just makes you look kind of scummy and like, oh, maybe this guy isn't who we thought he was. Even if he's innocent, he looks like a terrible person for speaking of the family in that manner. It's just, I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, it's disgusting. So Rebecca's case has been reviewed in the interim and the authorities have stuck with the initial conclusion. We don't have a lot to work with for theories, but let's quickly touch on them. So theory number one, Adam Shacknight allegedly killed Rebecca. 
I'm not completely decided one way or the other, but I strongly lean towards this being the most probable outcome. The lack of fingerprints, the height of the message scrawled on the door, she saved him, can you save her? The blood on the handle of the knife and in the recesses of the knife. There was likely menstrual blood. Even Paul Holes took a look at the evidence and said it was unlikely this blood came from Rebecca's hands and ended up encrusted on the knife handle. Unfortunately, blood type testing was done, but no test to confirm there was vaginal epithelial cells on the knife handle. So we're left to speculate. But seriously, why would Rebecca do this to herself? Yeah, to be blunt and truthful about what I strongly believe and feel, she wouldn't do this to herself. I don't see the point in the majority of the, you know, things that were found there, like the the knife with the blood on the handle, the wiping of everything clean. There's There's a ton of things that just have no point if you were to do this to yourself so because somebody in my opinion is not going to do all of that and I just don't think it's reasonable to think that she would I'm sure there are some that may argue that or that possibly be mad at me for saying it but I can't think of any other reason that you know that anybody would do that before hanging themselves I just can't there's absolutely no reason that I can come up with either there's just Literally nothing. Also, Adam volunteers who is pleasuring himself to pornography just before discovering the body. And he says so unprompted. This is so weird in my opinion. Like Adam is so bizarre, but it's pretty much like I said before. I think he gave that information just in case the authorities were to find that out during the investigation and the fear that it would essentially make him look guilty or suspicious had he not said something. I mean, it's a weird statement to make if he just said that, you know, out of the blue. Like, he just said it out of the blue. It's so weird. But it's kind of like... um he just said, oh, guess what, bud? I was just watching Asian bondage porn and walked outside to see her hanging there. It's such a weird thing, and which honestly makes him sound guilty to me. Either way, just trying to cover his own ass, in my opinion, but also giving away details that make your ears perk up if you're really listening to what he's saying. I think it was kind of dumb to say But had they found that on their own, he would have to explain it away and that would make him look even worse. So um, I think it's just a part of a twisted game and attempting to justify why he would have that on his phone or computer or wherever he was watching that. Whether he masturbated or not, who knows or cares, but I believe that he was watching it probably not only for sexual pleasure, but also different ways he could bond her. And I think it was probably, like you said, like some kind of sexual fetish there. I've got an issue with it too. And I think you're 100% right. I think he had a feeling, what if they search my phone? They're going to see the time that I was pleasuring myself to porn. Better that I just offer this information up because what if they check my phone and find it? It might make me look guilty if I was looking at Asian bondage porn and then my boyfriend's girlfriend, who's Asian, is found bound naked and dead and potentially sexually assaulted in, you know, just a walk across this property at the Spreckles Mansion. So I think he was covering his his butt for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
We can assume Adam may have had a motive and that he could have felt he was doing the honorable thing. But honestly, if he did indeed do this, I feel as though this was a sexually motivated crime. The sexual assault portion of it, the pornography, Max's accident, it just seems like it would have been an excuse. Yeah, that's definitely a way that I have started to look at it since you and I have been talking about this. My mind has changed a lot on what I first thought about this case. So now I'm definitely thinking that it was sexually motivated for the most part. Maybe, you know, Max's accident had like a tiny play in it. But, you know, like you said, it could just definitely be some kind of excuse. I just, I'm siding with you on this one now. I definitely am. Like, at first, I was kind of like, hmm. But now I, I see, like, with you explaining more of the details to me, it does seem more sexually motivated than more vigilante style motivated to me. Like a lot of, you know, killers use like vigilante justice, like especially ones that murder prostitutes, right? Like the religious ones that murder prostitutes. And it's yes. like, you're just using an excuse, right? Yes. You're going to murder anyways, but you're just dressing it up as being for religious reasons. Yes, that's exactly right. So we also have the lack of damage to the trachea and the Adam's apple and the broken hyoid bone, as well as the head injuries that are not explained by hanging. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could have just let that detail slide under the radar and just not seem to really care about that. That's one enormous detail that have should, you know, it should have been an indicator of foul play. And that just, it blows me away. It seems like that that was just pushed under the rug to me. It was. And like, we've got the neighbor that screams, she hears the screams for help. And it seems that Adam would have been the most likely person to have access to Rebecca as there was no random like intruder theory here. I mean, some people have posited it. I didn't really go through the whole random intruder thing because I thought it was kind of pointless. There was no report of a break in. Like, I really just don't think that given all of the events that happened, that it just seems far less likely that it would have been a random intruder who came in and did this theatrical, ridiculous display on the timing right after this had happened to Max while Adam is staying in the guest house. It just seems so unbelievable. Yeah. I don't think this was a stranger. Um, what we hear in a lot of these uh, cases is that strangulation and things like this, like the way that we think that she was murdered. These are more personal and you know, that person to get that close to them and it's a very personal look me in the eyes, you know, either hateful type of thing or sexual type of thing. I don't think that it was just somebody random. I think it is definitely someone that knew her. I think it's who we think it is. And, you know, it's just being that close to a person is very personal. And I think if it was somebody random, they would have done something completely different and not that. Yeah, exactly. It just seems like it's something that's definitely pointing towards somebody she knew. Like, who else is going to come in and use all of these supplies from her home? Like the nautical rope. Who's going to feel comfortable there? Someone who's related or someone who's had access to this home before. Exactly. So Adam would also have the time to clean up. Rebecca was believed to have died around 3 a.m. Adam calls 911 at 6.45 a.m. When authorities arrive, Rebecca's in full rigor. 
That's another thing too. Like when you're in that state, like full rigor, like he, he had time to wipe all of it clean. He had so much time to do anything pretty much that he wanted to do by the time that the police got there. Oh, definitely. And if she was believed to have been dead around 3 a.m., we've got three hours and 45 minutes that he could have potentially used to clean up and he may or may not have pleasured himself to pornography like he told the police, but he had a great deal of time in order to do these things. Yeah, yeah. We also have the inconclusive polygraph. Like, I don't put too much weight into the success or failure of polygraphs. I know some people do, but I do find Adam's affect during the interview strange. Yeah, and I'm the exact same way. I I guess because we're in this true crime genre, you know, we we see so many cases where they're just not reliable and that's why they can't be used in court. So they just, they don't hold much weight to me at all. God, I just can't, I can't put my faith just in a polygraph. I can't do that. Yeah. Also the 911 call is super odd. There seems to be obvious distancing language used by Adam. Yeah, absolutely. He was trying his best to say I've got a girl here as if you don't know her name or like whatever. And it took him five times to give up the address like nervous and guilty much. I mean, if somebody asked you the address and of course he knows the address, why didn't he just give it the first time? It doesn't make any sense to me. He would have at least known the name of Spreckles Right. And then the person could have looked it up, but he doesn't say that. He says the place you got the boy a couple days ago or whatever. And it's like, that's so vague. Why don't you just say it was Spreckles Mansion? Yeah. Yeah. Why would you, why would you say that? It's, it's so weird. Yeah. That has always bothered me. I mean, I try not to judge 911 calls too much, but this one is exceedingly bizarre. It it really is. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people do act differently as they do with trauma and stuff as like, that's the same thing we could say about a 911 call. But he was, uh, he came off very, I'm trying to avoid being connected to this in any way. Exactly. Okay, so let's move on to theory number two. Rebecca committed suicide. This theory hinges upon Rebecca feeling responsible for the death of Max. Some say that just by being present and responsible, and others say it was accidental when Rebecca was punishing Max, though this is, of course, speculation by others who are not myself and Paige. It does seem that Rebecca was potentially experiencing depression. Whether chronic or situational, I'm unsure. Her friends at the eye clinic said that she was happy and warm, but sometimes what people feel on the inside isn't visible on the outside. In Rebecca's text and writings, it is clear she was unhappy about certain things in her relationship, that it wasn't perfect. Even her sister Mary confirms this. Like, was this a contributing factor? I don't know. Also, the shoplifting. Was this indicative of a deeper problem? You know, some of the happiest looking people in the world are the most sad inside. You know, it kind of makes me think about Robin Williams and, you know, these other you know, happy comedians, you know, that have committed suicide. But, you know, a lot of us have these moments. We're not happy all the time. A lot of us have depression and anxiety. And even though some cases are more drastic than others and do lead to suicide, 
I believe she was just going through a lot and she was trying to cope with it. I don't think the shoplifting really plays a big part to me. I really think that either means she wanted something to call her own, maybe because she never had that luxury, of, you know, before. Um, maybe Jonah was keeping money from her. You know, I'm not sure. I can't really think of a reason why she would, you know, steal something unless it was because she saw it, she liked it, she wanted it. She was completely independent and just wanted to get it without anybody else's money. I just, you know, I don't know, but I feel like that is just completely separate maybe from this whole thing. I don't, I don't really think that it plays a big part. Yeah. I don't know. I think that shoplifting can be like, you know, one of those compulsive behaviors that's like, you know, going out and having risky sex or gambling or addictive behaviors where you're drinking or doing lots of drugs. I think there's a euphoric, you know, element involved where, you know, dopamine dumps into your system and you feel invincible and like gosh I remember when I was like you know 12 years old with my friends and we would like shoplift cover girl lipstick like why would we do that <laughs> it was stupid but it was something that we did when we were 12 and we just really didn't understand you know yeah. yet we didn't really understand like why this is wrong but we just thought it was something fun to do and then we would do it like six of us and then you know by the time I turned 13 I was like what am I doing yeah I mean we all make mistakes we all do things that are you know crazy sometimes and you know who knows why she did it but I, I can't think of any reason you know that's super related to this case that has anything to do with it i think it was just solely like something you know she just did maybe out of an adrenaline rush for all i know maybe she was just bored i don't know <laughs> you know i don't think it has anything to do with you know somebody who thinks that she committed suicide i think it speaks to her mental state and perhaps something else was going on but i um, i agree with you i don't think that this points towards it being suicide i just think this points towards the fact that rebecca was potentially dealing with more than what her you know what her exterior would allow you to believe yeah that's true so we can look at the witchcraft book and say only rebecca's fingerprints were on it or there were basically like no fingerprints in the room <laughs> The lack of evidence to me doesn't point away from it being murder. It points towards it. Why would Rebecca wipe her prints from everywhere? A woman who would clearly have been in the midst of a psychotic break to kill herself in this manner would have the foresight to wipe off her prints. Like, and if so, why? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge part of this case that I definitely cannot come up with any arguments of why someone would wipe away everything clean. Like, that's where you live. Your fingerprints are going to be there anyway. So unless this was someone else's fingerprints that are everywhere, why would you like, why would they be wiped clean? So, you know, you're obviously in a state of mind, you know, you're not thinking clearly and you're not going to be thinking about cleaning anything. I don't think anyone cares if their own fingerprints are anywhere in their own place and nor do they even think about anything like that. So like we're expected to believe she's going to clean off fingerprints, but she won't clean off the, the blood droplets of menstrual blood on the floor or pick up her exactly. towel or her cell phone. Yeah, exactly. Like it just, there are two things don't line up. They're completely incongruous. It's like, if you're going to think to clean off fingerprints, surely you're going to clean off the blood smear from the inside of your thigh, the blood from the carpet, you know, uh -huh. if, it just, it doesn't line up. Yeah, not at all. 
So on the patio, they're said to have only been Rebecca's footprints, but this is a really tiny balcony. If Rebecca was potentially already dead by a manual strangulation, as suggested by Dr. Wecht, perhaps before sending her over the patio, the perpetrator, potentially or allegedly Adam, stood up the body before throwing her off the edge. Rebecca was small. She was five foot two and around 100 pounds. So this doesn't sound difficult to do. Someone who is intelligent enough to wipe their prints from the room would also likely be savvy enough to avoid stepping on a dusty surface and leaving shoe impressions. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what happened. And I agree with the doctor on this. And also like, okay, so I haven't seen this house. I haven't seen the setup yet. But so she was like on the other side of the balcony. Like she wasn't on the the inside like where you would lean over the balcony and look over like she was on the other side of that she was kind of thrown off of the the balcony like ledge that like how I don't understand how could she do that to herself like I don't I'm trying to figure it out in my mind like how all of this is completely possible to do to yourself and I'm, I just can't come up with anything like you said there was no stool there how could she have jumped and like done all these bindings and things like that? I think there might've been a chair on the patio. I'm not hundred percent sure that she made, but, but still binding your feet ups the difficulty and complexity like tenfold, because if uh, you, yeah. if your feet aren't bound, you could very easily jump off the balcony. Why would right. you ever choose to make it so much more difficult for yourself? Because the payoff is so little. Yeah, that's what I'm not understanding of it. Like the whole feet binding thing like this just all does not add up. Yeah, like I think it's possible that Rebecca killed herself in the midst of a psychotic break as anything is possible. But I don't think it's very probable because I can't get over the blood on the knife handle, the paint on her nipples and the fact that she's stark naked. There is a sexual component about this death that points me towards murder being the most likely scenario. What are your final thoughts, Paige? Oh, well, I do think, like you said, anything is possible. Um, is it possible that she cleaned everything for whatever reason before completing suicide? Sure. Is it possible that she wrote that on the wall? Yes. Is it even possible that she dropped the phone on accident? And, you know, could she done all of this to herself? I think that it anything is possible. But it would make no sense to me or so many other people as to why. But the fact that she could have done it all to herself is a possibility. Um, But do I believe that? Absolutely not. And one of the biggest indicators out of all of this that can separate all the things that she possibly could have done to herself for whatever reason The autopsy report pretty much debunked suicide all on its own. So I think this was allegedly murder by Adam. Maybe a second person involved, maybe not. But a lot of speculation as far as that. I do wholeheartedly believe this was murder. And just by going off the autopsy alone is... You know, if you don't go by anything else, that autopsy report does not lead to them thinking it was at all a suicide. Yeah, I definitely agree. This just points towards murder for me. I've got a really hard time. I think the probability is so low that this was suicide and it's so unfortunate. 
I really want to thank Paige for coming on the show. Paige, can you one more time tell everyone about your podcast and where to find you on social media? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. You know, I'm such a big fan of your work and I think you do an amazing job. You know, it's an honor to just be able to talk with you about Rebecca's case and you've taught me a lot. So thank you so much. Um, My podcast is Reverie True Crime. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr if if anyone on earth is still on there. Um, And that's that's all at Reverie True Crime. But on Twitter, it's Reverie Crime Pod. Thank you for tuning into this episode on Rebecca's The How. I have episodes with experts in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for that. Stick around for a promo from Reverie True Crime. Till next time, stay safe and remember, accept nothing, question everything. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can turn into nightmares. Join me as I tell you about horrific reveries on the Reverie True Crime Podcast, wherever you stream your favorite podcasts.